It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Episode 2 of Atomic Dreamland. The nuclear powers considered information about radioactive fallout as classified. The first the public heard of the dangers came in 1954, when an American hydrogen bomb test in the South Pacific yielded three times more destructive power than expected. A vast radioactive cloud blew over the Marshall Islands. The inhabitants suffered burns and nausea. The fallout also engulfed a Japanese fishing trawler, the Lucky Dragon. The unfortunately named Lucky Dragon was contaminated by a hydrogen bomb, not an old-fashioned sort of atomic uranium or plutonium bomb. The Americans grossly miscalculated the size of this bomb. They thought it was going to be 5 megatons and it was about 15. So there was a massive amount of fallout. The Japanese fishermen had no idea what was happening. They thought the sun had risen twice that day when they saw the blast in the sky. Uh, and then there was this white powder that descended on them. A well-known health physicist, Ralph Lapp, took up their cause and started advising the public on what were the issues involved with radioactive contamination from nuclear weapons tests. To alleviate growing public concern over fallout, Prime Minister Menzies created an Atomic Weapons Test Safety Committee, manned by some of the nation's leading physicists. The dominant force on the committee was British-born physicist Sarunas Titterton. Sir Ernest had quite a clear view in his own mind that radiation was not dangerous. So putting somebody like that in charge of the safety of the Australian public and, and controlling fallout was very much like Rapoche becoming a gamekeeper. The safety committee's role was to ensure weather conditions were suitable for firing at all future tests. It would also independently monitor radioactive fallout across the country. We wanted to know what the situation actually was after the event. Sarunas Titterton. And so some 32 monitoring stations were set up around Australia. And these monitoring stations collected whatever fallout there might be. And they were predominantly downwind because that's where the stuff goes, it's blown downwind. The experiments would involve Australian scientists from the government scientific research establishment, the CSIRO. Overseeing the top secret project 
was biochemist Hedley Marston, who ran the CSIRO's Division of Animal Nutrition. Australia's spy agency, ASIO, vetted Marston's background and gave him a security clearance. From October 1955, Hedley Marston became an essential component of the British atomic tests. Little did they know the kind of man, the ego of this man. A letter to Fred White, Chief Executive Officer of CSIRO, personal and confidential. Dear Fred, it isn't necessary to thank me for my readiness to cooperate with the British in their atomic project. I'm uncooperative only with humbug. My own negative feelings about CSIRO becoming involved in military secrets has always been clear. Had the experiment been other than one concerned with the protection of civil populations, I would not so willingly agree to lend a hand. I understand the sensitivities involved. Yours, Hedley Marston. The British asked Marston to supply animals and scientists to study the biological effects of fallout within a few hundred kilometres of the test site. With CSIRO's expertise with ruminants, the decision was made to use sheep and goats. CSIRO biochemist Ivan Jarrett. Well, the animals were to be fed pasture, which was laid out in the anticipated line of fallout and the pasture was collected and fed to the sheep and then uh, the animals were autopsied and each organ was assessed for the presence of the various fallout products. The aim of the experiments was based on the fact that three or so major atomic bombs would obliterate Britain. Either those that were killed, but there would be all those survivors, what were you going to feed them? And the first question there was whether the fallout would be so dangerous that the requirement would be to shoot all the grazing animals because the uh, fission products that came out of the bomb would find their way into animals and they would find their way even into food. Marston received sensitive measuring equipment from the British but he soon realised their experiments were poorly conceived and would certainly fail. So he designed his own experiments, and they were both clever and audacious. He would study the radioactive fallout that fell to Earth, not merely over a few hundred kilometres from the test site, but over the entire Australian continent. He comes to see that there's a chance for him to gain even greater power and prestige by doing an experiment Australia-wide. Marston would use sheep and cattle to investigate the uptake of iodine-131, one of the dozens of radioactive isotopes created during an atomic explosion. Well, it was clear that one of the biologically important radionuclides was radioiodine. Rob Robotham was a health physicist with the UK Atomic Energy Research Establishment. And the advantage of radioiodine is that it has a very clear exposure path and it's quite easy to measure. If it gets onto grass or pasture and it's eaten by the sheep, some of it will pass straight through, but a lot of it will go to the thyroid gland and concentrate there. 
and of course the thyroid gland is, is in the throat and it's quite easy to excise the thyroid gland, take it out of the sheep and send it back to the laboratory for careful monitoring. Hedling didn't tell the owners of the sheep and cattle the use to which they were going to be put. Roger Cross, author of Fallout. And that was going to be important for the British and Australian governments, that we kept this as quiet as possible. The Safety Committee let Hedley know that they were also measuring I-131 around the country as well as he was, and they had a different kind of system. CSIRO biochemist Richard Smith. They had this sticky paper, and that collected, settled dust. It trapped fallout, and they were able to measure it. After months of preparation, Marston had established the most secret and politically sensitive project in the history of the CSIRO. But with Cold War tensions increasing, Britain changed its plans. It would now urgently explode two atomic devices on the Montebello Islands off Western Australia, the site of the first test four years earlier. The CSIRO's technical secretary, Angus Packham. I carefully had people send in a, a sample thyroid test just to make sure everything was going. And the thyroid arrived in suitable condition and so on. And lo and bloody behold, Monty Bello had come on. Two explosions at the Montebello Islands uh, during 56 were used by Headley to check his procedure, to check the equipment, and to check that he was ready for the Maralinga show, as he liked to call it. Letter to Dr Fred White, Chief Executive Officer of the CSIRO. Secret. We have found conclusive proof that a band of airborne radioactivity has passed over northern Australia in the last 10 to 12 days. Uh, we should be able to trace its course from the findings of the routine examinations of thyroids that are being made here. Insofar as I can judge, there's no reason to become excited about the implied hazard. Yours, Headley. Weeks later, news came through that another atomic trial was imminent on the Montebello Islands. But Marston had suffered a heart attack. It couldn't have come at a worse time. An official press release claimed that it was to be a small atomic device. But at almost eight times the destructive power of the bomb dropped on Hiroshima, this was Britain's largest atomic test so far. And something went seriously wrong. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, 
they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Instead of sending the radioactive fallout out to sea, it went right across the whole of the northern half of Australia. A few days later, on the other side of the continent, in Queensland, electronics technician Luke Van Hurt was calibrating a Geiger counter for the Australian Air Force. On this particular day, I had one unit which would not respond to its normal calibration. Uh, its background was substantially higher than a normal background count. And I walked around with a thing in my hand, thinking, what can it be? Where have I gone wrong? And as I approached the window, the count started to increase. And I thought, it's strange, so I stepped back and it reduced. And then I got suspicious, so I started running the Geiger counter around the actual window frame. Stuck it outside, and the count went off its rocker. And obviously we're having radioactive rain. Within one hour, a car turned up with a couple of officers and they removed the Geiger counters we had there that we had repaired, as well as the radioactive material. And the owner of the business uh, informed me there that I had to not to mention to anyone or even talk about it because that he was now under the Official Secrets Act. And uh, I never discussed with anybody since. That day, radioactive rain fell throughout Queensland. As much as the government tried, it couldn't contain the story. For the government, it was an absolute disaster because we have this prospector near Cloncurry, bawling his billy as the story goes and his Geiger counter goes berserk. This prospector raises the alarm is not subject to the Official Secrets Act, and it hits the national press. Now, the Minister of Supply, Howard Beale, has written in his autobiography, it could have lost him his job. So it was a massive problem for the government. Meanwhile, fresh animal thyroids were arriving at Marston's laboratory from across the nation. The thyroids were put into the radiation counter The results were noted, and they were hot. I, I alone had the results, which were hot. The claims of atomic rain were true. Iodine levels in animal thyroids were up to 4,000 times higher than expected. The fallout area was enormous, ranging from Alice Springs in central Australia to Rockhampton on the northeast coast of the continent. 
rang Professor Martin, who was a member of the Australian Safety Committee. He, he doesn't want to know. It was awful. Hadley had a heart attack and was in hospital during the time that these results were coming. His assistant came to me and pleaded with me not to tell him, which I didn't do. He came out of hospital and was absolutely furious that he hadn't been told. On his return to the laboratory, Marston secretly recorded a telephone call to the Safety Committee Chairman, Leslie Martin, in which he accused the Safety Committee and the British and Australian governments of lying to the population. Hello? Yes, Liz. Uh, things got away from you, or, or what is it? You've had the reports of these things? Well, it was an official report. It was an official announcement in the press, coming from the minister. There's no possible harm can befall anybody, and there's absolutely no harm again in this morning's paper. Well, that ought to set off a train that will make a bigger explosion than any that you can make up there, I should think. That's the most disgusting thing. Well, it's the most disgusting thing that I've ever seen, and that will make every scientist indignant, and I should uh, imagine uh, stir up the socialists. It gives us that we just lack confidence in anybody now. Hadley didn't like physicists. But physicists were beginning to pronounce on biological matters. That is the impact of radiation and the hazard of radiation in the human population. How dare they, thought Hadley. Marston's doctor ordered him to cut back on his workload. But he was determined to continue his experiments to see if the safety committee was looking after British or Australian interests. For the next test at Maralinga, he expanded his thyroid collection points around Adelaide, the closest city to the tests. And unknown to the safety committee, he would also monitor radioactivity in the air over the city. The results he would gather would be the most explosive yet. Fortunately, an American scientist Professor Perry Stout had set up a rather splendid piece of equipment the year before to measure natural radioactivity in the air over Adelaide. Perry invented this uh, filtering device which would suck 20 or 30 litres of air through uh, a filter pad which would sift out anything radioactive. They then simply measured that with a Geiger counter. And he did that up on the uh, the roof of the nutrition laboratory in Adelaide. He plans to use that just in case the city was contaminated. Maralinga, South Australia, September the 27th, 1956. 5pm, South Australian time. The mighty power of the atom is unleashed. Fallout from the first two Maralinga tests was measured in the following days in Queensland and New South Wales. Letter to Mark Oliphant, private and confidential. Oh, my dear Mark, I'm more worried than I can convey about the expensive quasi-scientific pantomime that's being enacted at Maralinga under the cloak of secrecy. And even more so about the evasive lying that is being indulged in by public authorities about the hazard of fallout. I nearly blow a gasket every time I think of it. 
Apparently, Whitehall and Canberra consider that the people of Northern Australia are expendable. By comparison to all its predecessors, the third Maralinga test was small. But politically, it was the most explosive. Minutes after detonation, the wind changed direction and part of the radioactive cloud was blown in the direction of Adelaide. There was a lady here hanging the washing up, looking up in the air to the line and facing the west. And she said she noticed a very unusual reddish brown cloud, huge, stretching for miles and very high. And she thought, that's odd. It didn't look like clouds. Being a farmer and always interested in the weather, this was a strange day. At four o'clock in the afternoon, a grey streaky cloud come over from the northwest and all of a sudden it went completely dark. It wasn't normal. And I didn't find out until next day that an atomic bomb had been let off at Maralinga. Hedley Marston got quite angry when he read the official pronouncement that um, skilled men working through the night um, had found no evidence of any radioactive material. Uh, my cynical view is that it must have been too dark for them to read their Geiger counters. In the days following the test, Marston took thyroids from sheep located at two research stations close to Adelaide. He measured radioactive iodine levels up to 5,000 times higher than normal. The results from Perry Stout's air sampling were equally disturbing. Instead of having counts of around 20 per 100 seconds on a normal day as a result of natural background radiation, he received the day after the bomb test counts of 96,000. The people of Adelaide were never told. The people of the little towns along the way between Maralinga and Adelaide they were never told. And if they'd read their local paper, they would have read the opposite, that all was well with the tests. The minister had stated that no fallout went over a major city in Australia. And Headley knew that it did. Coming up in episode three of Atomic Dreamland. It was an unpleasant time in the lab because Headley was convinced that his mail was being opened, which it probably was. He was convinced that his phone was tapped, which it probably was. When humans drink that milk, babies and children in particular, who are laying down bone very quickly, their bones are the places where the strontium and the calcium eventually wind up. And once it's there, it doesn't go away again. As part of my duties, I was asked to attend a large public hospital and receive from the pathology department of that hospital a package which I was to on forward to the Eastern States. On receiving this package, I identified bones as being those of young children. I thought to myself, bloody hell, what's going on here? Sweet dreams, tell sunbeams, find you. Sweet dreams, lovely world, walk you behind you. What in your 
Atomic Dreamland is produced by Black Bottle Films with the kind assistance of the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia. Hedley Marston was voiced by the late Bill Brown. Many thanks to my colleague Harry Bardwell for his interview with Sir Ernest Titterton. To explore our other investigative podcast series, visit blackbottlefilms.com.au.